0: Hi ladies, welcome to lecture two, where I am covering CPRT week two. So it was so great to hear about what your thoughts are about week one and, and how you're embracing the knowledge and really feeling excited about conducting your group. So that's exciting to me that you are excited and I hope that the further we go, the, the more you see the benefit and the value of what you are learning and therefore what you can teach to parents. So let's get started we're going to be looking at session two again you can have your manual with you because i'll be following specifically the content for what you will teach parents so two rules of thumb today the parent's toes should follow his or her nose and the illustration that you can give to parents there is it's very telling where a person's focus is based on where their toes are And the illustration that I can give you is, if I am talking to you, if you were in front of me instead of a camera, uh, if I'm looking at you and I'm talking to you and someone were to knock on the window behind me or open the window behind me, if the rest of my body continues, and you can't particularly see my legs, but obviously they're facing this way. So, if there's something that happens over here and I do this, and then I the rest of me stays facing you. The communication that is unspoken is this is the distraction and this is where I'm really attending and focusing. And so therefore we communicate those things to our children as well. And so you're helping parents to understand the value of where your toes are is where your attention lies and so your toes follow your nose so if this is a distraction but i decide that it's worth my time i turn my entire body so that i can attend to that issue conversation whatever that may be so the intent there is to help parents understand the value of especially in those 30 minute play times that when the child moves to this corner Your entire body shifts when the child moves to this corner, your entire body shifts because the unintended outcome of not doing that is I'm not really paying that much attention because my focus is lying somewhere else. So toes follow your nose and feel free to illustrate that. I mean, it was hard for you to see me because you can't see my whole body, but if you actually turn your toes and you let them see that concept, it clicks very well with parents okay and then number two you cannot give away that which you don't possess this is an interesting one because the illustration they give is so helpful and i'm sure most of you have been on an airplane i've actually had a couple parents and or people that i've trained that have said no i've never flown and then i say oh well let me tell you a story but if you've flown if your parents have flown they are aware of the flight attendants that come to do their safety talk at the beginning of the flight and they show you where the emergency exits are etc and then they say should we lose cabin pressure oxygen masks will drop from the you know roof in front of you and if you are a parent traveling with small children put your own oxygen mask on first before you put the oxygen mask on your child now I don't know any parent, I really don't know any adult period, whether it's your own child or not, but I don't know any parents that initially think, let me take care of myself before I take care of my kid. I mean, we are very, very sensitive to our children and their needs and making sure that they're safe and that they're okay. And so they illustrate that in the manual and you can actually read part of that. But the, what you're trying to communicate there is, yes, we naturally want to be aware of our children's needs parents need to be attuned to those things however if they pass out because they don't have any oxygen because they were working so hard to get all of their kids breathing with air masks and they pass out they're of absolutely no use to their children and so that's the bigger and deeper point there is you cannot give if you don't take care of yourself first and they liken that to other personality traits as well you know you can't extend patience to your children if you aren't patient with yourself you can't extend kindness to your children if you aren't kind to yourself and you obviously can't extend life-saving measures to your child if you have no oxygen and you pass out so it's really important to help them to remember that as their caregiver as the person that's responsible for them you have to give a lot of yourself it's burdensome and it's difficult and it's trying and it's tiresome i mean there's a lot that goes into being a parent and if you don't have the resources within you you also cannot do that for your children and you know there's also the analogy of you have to give out of the overflow and i share that with parents i often will say you know as your cup is full and it overflows it spills out but if you deplete the cup so much that there's hardly anything left there is no overflow there's nothing left to give it's just what's left in the bottom and you can't extend that to anyone else because it's all that you have so you it's helping parents to be aware of their failures helping their parent your parents to be aware of their shortcomings but then also accepting those as part of the parenting journey and knowing that the more kind and good you are to yourself, the more kind and good you can be to your kids. So parents' toes should follow their nose and you can't give away that which you don't possess. So those are the two rules of thumb for week two. And there's a reminder and a recap of the be with attitudes. So I'm here, I hear you, I understand and I care. Just kind of a brief recollection there of week one material and it's important to continue to bring those up and remind parents of those because that's the foundation on which all of this is built so even when it's not particularly in the in the training manual wow i'm trying to say material and manual at the same time when it's not in the training manual you can still remind them and help them to focus on those be with attitudes because they really do set the stage for everything moving forward okay So if you want to flip page with me, we will be on the basic principles of the play sessions. The intention behind week two training is helping parents to know what to expect in the CPRT sessions with their kids where they're actually playing. Because you are training them and equipping them before they begin those sessions. So this is kind of the first time they get to dive into what those play sessions will look like. So there are four basic principles that you want to cover with them. And those are the parent sets the stage by structuring the atmosphere where the child is free to use that 30 minutes any way that they choose. And it's the child leading and the parent following. I typically use the example of they're kind of the director of the movie or the play and you're the actor. And so it's helpful to help parents make sense of child gets to be fully autonomously independently in charge during that 30 minutes. I worked with a family and they had I think he was a 9-year-old boy and the dad was very traditional, very stoic, very old school, a little bit strict, a little bit stern and the son chose to dress him up with like the princess braids. It was probably from a Disney movie. I don't know who has a long blonde braid, but put like a feather boa on the dad and the long braid wig from the Disney movie. And I mean, just really made the dad so effeminate and really dressed. And the kid thought it was hilarious. And the dad really struggled with that session and, of course, didn't, well, showed it in his quietness in the session, but didn't make any issue with it with the child but then when he met with me he was like oh my gosh I was literally sitting there thinking to myself if this kid puts one more girl thing on me I just don't know what I'm gonna do and he really had a hard time with it and but that was a very interesting lesson for him was that his son needed to have that control because he knew that would never ever happen in any other context within their relationship dad would never wear girl stuff dad would never let him dress him up and so that was powerful for that son and that father because the father learned, gosh, I don't give him freedom to do the things that he wants. And, and the son really took advantage of it, not in a negative way, but just, I know that this is my time and I can make this what I want it to be. And that actually helped them connect on a deeper level. So it's really important that the parent understands the child gets to be in charge and, and that's okay. So the parent follows the child's lead with interest. You really have to encourage them to try to see the play through the child's eyes. And they're going to observe what the child's playing. More importantly, probably than anything, they will not make suggestions and they will not ask questions. Really difficult for some parents. Not so difficult for others, but I would say the majority of parents really struggle with not making suggestions and not asking questions. So. Really, what you're trying to communicate is parents basically don't have any answers for that 30 minutes. The book actually says parents are dumb and it's in quotes. I purposefully and intentionally do not use that phrase when I do this training. It's probably just a me thing. I, I just feel that that's an unnecessary word for this training. I just say they don't have the answers. Because I think that dumb has a specific connotation and anyway, that's just me. You can use it if you'd like. but. I typically say, you just don't have the answers for 30 minutes and the child gets to make his own decisions and find his own solutions. And that's where the not making suggestions comes in because when a child's struggling to get Play-Doh off or struggling to get a dart into a dart gun, it's easy for the parent to say, well here, why don't you just do this? But the child needs to make his own decision and solve his own problems. So that's where there's no suggestions. And then asking questions, we'll get to that later but asking questions puts kids in their minds and they live in their hearts. So we encourage parents to not ask questions and you'll get to that in a, in a later week. Okay, so then basic principle number two is empathizing with the child. At its core, it's trying to understand the child's thoughts, feelings, desires, wishes, needs, behaviors. It's really essentially crawling into their world and trying to see that 30 minutes through their eyes. How can I relate? How can I empathize? How can I connect to what this is for my child? And you're really trying in that moment to convey those be with attitudes. If they can keep those be with attitudes in mind, they will naturally be able to empathize with the child. So those two go hand in hand. Three, the parent communicates the understanding to the child. So if you can think of this in terms of a flow chart, You're setting the stage first, then you're trying to empathize with the child, understand where they are, what they're thinking and feeling. Then out of that understanding, you communicate that back to the child. So you can either, and here's where the reflective responding comes in, three ways that that is practically defined. So one, you can verbally describe what the child is doing. This is called tracking behavior. So the child picks up a block and holds it up in the air, and you say, you're showing me that you picked up a block. They are making siren sounds, driving an ambulance across the carpet, and you say, you're making the ambulance drive around with the siren. So you literally are helping them track behavior in such a way that they say what they see. That's another phrase that I think is helpful. You say what you see. Whatever you see them doing, you say it back to them. So that's one way they can communicate that understanding. Second is reflecting what the child is saying. This is called reflecting content. So the child says, I think I wanna paint a picture. And they say what they just heard back. So you're thinking about painting. And obviously, The more in-depth you go with examples, the better they understand what this looks like. So I typically say, you want to make sure that you're not saying it in a parroting way or in a robotic way. So if the child says, I want to paint a picture, the parent arguably should not say, you want to paint a picture. Because then it sounds very rote and contrived you want them to understand this is a very natural flow of conversation, even though they're using specific skills. So you want them basically to summarize or to kind of condense what the child says in a way that they're reflecting what they heard, but it's in more of a summary fashion or a one sentence awareness of it instead of word for word verbatim what the child says. So that's reflecting content and then C, most importantly as it says there is reflecting feelings and we already talked about that last week they've practiced that last week so reflecting feelings is you're excited about that you're frustrated that happened you are proud of your tower that you built you're confused because that didn't work etc so those are the three ways operationally that they can communicate this back to the child So, Tracking Behavior, Reflecting Content, Reflecting Feelings. And then four, parents need to set firm and clear limits, but only when necessary during the play sessions. And so, the idea is, and we get to limit setting week four, so help them know that they don't need to know how to do this yet, but you're just setting the expectation that if they need to set a limit in the play session, this is how it will be done. They'll actually learn the process for limit setting week four. But limits are stated in a way that give the child responsibility for their actions. And this helps the child develop self-control. That is crucial because they learn very quickly, I'm still in charge, I still get to make decisions, I still have to make choices, And therefore I control myself because of the outcome of either decision that I make. So the limits to be set are the time limit. It's a 30 minute play session that is clearly stated. We have 30 minutes to play together. Second, not breaking the toys. So toys cannot be broken on purpose. Accidental toy breakage happens and in those moments you say, Oh, accidents happen, and you move on. If the child is purposefully damaging or breaking toys, that's a limit. And then also that the parent nor the child can be hurt physically. So those are the only three instances in those playtimes that limits would be set. Everything else is fair game. And that is sometimes hard for parents, especially if the child is getting aggressive or getting wild or running around or doing things that they feel the child shouldn't be doing. But those are the only three instances where those limits are set. So we have 30 minutes, you and I both need to be safe, and the toys can't be broken on purpose. That's all that needs to be in their heads going into those sessions. And those will apply consistently across all sessions. So those three rules will carry over. Now, obviously, should something emerge week six, specifically in a play session that the parent needs to set a limit on outside of those three that emerges then but these are the three that will remain consistent across all of those sessions and then it does make reference to you'll learn limit setting skills more in future weeks so you can just leave it at that they just kind of get a little teaser there again a huge little block there of be with attitudes reminder and the intent is that you're conveying all of those things. So every action, every behavior, every interaction in those play sessions, the parent's goal is to communicate, I'm here, I hear you, I understand that I care. Okay, then going through the goals of the play sessions with them. Very important, remember week one, you talked about what is CPRT and how it can help my child. This is now, here are your basic principles for the sessions. so things you need to keep in mind but then goals for the session, what the intended outcome is of conducting these 30-minute play times. So again, four goals. To allow the child through their play, because we often expect kids to do these things through their verbal communication, and developmentally, they're just not capable of that. So through their play, the goal is for children to be able to communicate their thoughts, needs, and feelings to their parent, and then in turn the parent communicates that understanding back to the child. We already worked through that process, but that's certainly a goal that needs to be stated and that parents need to embrace. Secondly, as children feel accepted, valued, and understood, which that comes out of the parent empathizing with them, relating to them, reflecting what they're hearing and seeing back to them. So out of that overflow comes The child feels valued and understood and accepted. The child then experiences more positive feelings of self-respect, self-worth, self-confidence, self-identity, all of those things, and therefore that leads to development of self-control, leads to development of self-responsibility, leads to them learning how to get their needs met in appropriate ways. The bulk of all dysregulated and dysfunctional child behaviors are rooted in, I do not know how to get my needs met in appropriate ways, because I don't have a good sense of self, because I don't feel heard and valued and understood by the people in my life that care about me. So there's definitely a chain of command, if you will, there. And so as one leads to the next, leads to the next, leads to the next, you can see the outcome there. That's a goal that parents should be aware of and should be very excited about because every parent wants their kid to feel heard, every parent wants their child to develop self-esteem, and every parent wants their child to behave in ways to get their needs met appropriately. So that's kind of a no-brainer for parents. You just have to help them understand that that's what the goal is. Three is to strengthen their relationship. That connection and bond and relationship between the parent and child gets strengthened, it gets stronger, that is a consistent goal, and it therefore fosters a sense of trust and security within that relationship, which is really important. And then finally, fourth goal, to increase the level of playfulness and enjoyment between the parent and the child. Studies have shown that the older we get, the less we play. And parents have all studies have also shown that parents do not spend time in Playful interaction with their child the older the child gets So you can see the dynamic there is that we as adults don't play and we play less the older the child gets So even at 8 9 10 11 when kids have time to just play with their parents That's a very very significant meaningful interaction so the playfulness and enjoyment is increased. And this is especially true. And spend Spend a little bit of time on this if it's relevant to your specific parents. Because if parents are just participating in this because they want to be better parents, this may not be as much of a goal. But for a parent who feels that every interaction they've had with their child has been tense, filled with conflict, filled with argu- filled with argument, filled with contentious disagreement, filled with poor behavior, problems in school, issues at home. I mean, if you can imagine the scenario that a lot of these parents are in, they don't have, they can't remember the last time they had a positive interaction with their child. If the child's extremely dysregulated, that means in turn the parent is probably extremely dysregulated and then they do not do well together right now. So it's really helpful in those scenarios to encourage the parent that, this is going to be a positive, this may be the first positive interaction you've had with your child in months. And that's something to celebrate. And that's something to look forward to because the more positive experiences they have, the less dysregulated they are. And they don't necessarily know that until they see it happen. So goals of the play sessions, very important to communicate. Okay. So this is where they get their toy checklist and the reason for that is you will still meet with them one more time before they start conducting their play sessions but this gives them more than a week to figure out what they already have what they may need and how to get it if they need some more items so really you'll go over this with them and i don't need to go over every single detail with you because most of it is clearly spelled out but it's important that you help them understand a few things one they need a container of some kind so a copy of a copy paper box that works very well a Rubbermaid tote with a lid works very well a cardboard box that you have flaps that you can close any contained space where the toys will fit that's important because the toys are kept separate from the rest of the week so that the child has toys that they specifically use in the play session it kind of gives them something exciting to look forward to so the toys need to be kept in a contained space apart from the rest of their every week or everyday toys and then they'll also need a quilt or a blanket or a sheet or a rug some kind of defined area that they will play on now obviously if there's an area rug in the room they're going to Do their play sessions in they don't need to have a sheet or a quilt it just needs to be something laid out on the floor to define the play area visually so if they're going to do it in a bedroom or a living room and there's just carpet or flooring of some kind then they would want a sheet or a quilt or a blanket but an area rug also works for that visual boundary so three groups of toys real life toys acting out aggressive toys creative emotional expression toys the real life toys promote the imaginative play and you'll basically go over this with them just like i'm going over it with you but you can read the italics and the specifics that they add kind of as a help i'm just going to cover broad stuff here so You'll talk about the real life toys. These are the toys that kids will use to recreate whatever happens in day-to-day life. So a small baby doll, a nursing bottle, doctor kit, toy phones, doll house, doll family, play money, animals, car and truck, and kitchen dishes. What would they need to play out something that happens on a random Wednesday afternoon? I can cook a meal, I can clean, I can take care of siblings, I can feed babies. I can have a job, I can go to work. So, real life toys, what do they need to recreate a normal traditional childhood scenario? That's there. You obviously will read the italics. So for the doctor kit, it says with a stethoscope, so you'll stress that with them. And then add 3 band-aids for each session. And they're going to have this so you mean you they'll be able to read and, you know, look at these as they're acquiring these items as well, but just qualify or clarify anything that you think is important okay then there's an optional section as part of the real life toys so and as a broad picture of this they do not need to check off every single one of these this is not a comprehensive list that they have to have every single item on the list this is a broad sense of you need a good representation of items from all three categories so you need most of the real life toys, most of the acting out aggressive toys, most of the creative emotional expression toys. But if you don't have a few, that is not a problem at all. Okay, so then acting out aggressive toys. This promotes imaginative play, but this also is essentially the means to an end. So what does that mean? I have to stab someone with a knife before I can be the doctor that heals them when they're at the hospital or fixes them when they're at the hospital. I have to rob a bank, so I have to be the bad guy with the gun and the mask and you know I have to run in and steal before I can become the police officer <clears throat> excuse me, that sends them to jail. So as you can see, the acting out aggressive toys are essentially means to an end play. It helps them balance good versus bad, it helps them balance good versus evil, helps them balance chaos, problem, conflict, dilemma, issue, with how do I rescue it, redeem it? How am I the hero? How do I fix it? How do I repair it? So a lot of parents will ask me, I don't feel comfortable with a knife. I don't feel comfortable with a gun. I don't feel comfortable with a sword. I don't feel comfortable with aggressive toys, period, et cetera, et cetera. Help them understand the intent behind that toy category if they still are completely uncomfortable with some of those i mean obviously a rope is no problem obviously aggressive animals are typically not a problem soldiers are not a problem the bop bag is not a problem it's typically weapons so guns swords knives things like that some parents just have an issue with that and i always leave that to their discretion i say you need a good representation of the category if you choose to leave the weapons out they will still have a good representation of acting out aggressive toys In my playroom, I have throwing knives, I have brass knuckles, I have a billy club or a nightstick, I have several guns, I have several swords, I have several knives, I have pretty much every weapon you can think of. Bows and arrows, I have shotguns, I have bullets. I mean, I have the whole gamut. And that is what I feel kids need to work through these things. Parents do not have to make that call, they can say, I don't want them exposed to, I don't want my four-year-old exposed to a play gun. I don't think that's appropriate. They have their right to say, I'm not adding that in and you support that. You say, just make sure you have the other items. Then there's optionally toy, toy handcuffs with a key. I feel, just me personally, I feel that should not be in the optional category. I feel that should be in the mandatory category. I am handcuffed every day. Every day of the week that I'm in my office, I am handcuffed. I'm usually sent to jail once I'm handcuffed. I, that is such a staple of play therapy. I feel that it's extremely important. So I would actually encourage you to help them know how important that is. And then creative emotional expression toys. These are the toys that allow for more creativity, more emotional expression. It allows them to do art, be creative, make things, paint, draw, cut, glue, you know, just kind of the craft piece of play. So obviously there's quite a bit there, Play-Doh, crayons, paper, scissors, tape, um, cards, balloons, etc. And then there's some optional at the bottom of there as well. So musical instruments are included in the creative emotional expression toys. And so, you know, tambourines, drums, I have a kazoo, a harmonica, a xylophone, castanets let me think what else i have in there a play microphone so you could certainly include some of those as options and really as you go over these with them i think what's most important is i know some of you mentioned that your parents are low income or they live in rural areas or that it's low ses so please help them understand toys do not need to be new or expensive If they have young kids i would argue a lot of parents will have at least a decent amount of these toys unless their kids are a lot older and they've outgrown these types of toys but they can ask neighbors they can ask relatives they can ask friends they can go to dollar stores thrift stores garage sales you know they have enough time that if they're missing a few items you know the dollar store carries the bulk of these items and so you know even walmart walmart would be a little more expensive but they certainly have the opportunity to go and acquire some of these borrow them you know if you have neighbors next door that have young kids hey i'm doing a 10-week program can i borrow a few of these items what of these do you have encourage them to not feel the burden of financially putting out money for this because it does not need to be new It does not need to be expensive it doesn't even need to be specifically everything on the list. So help them know that there's no pressure from a financial standpoint to get these toys. There's a lot of ways they can do it. So uh, make sure the toys are small. You know, you do not want dinosaurs. You can't see my hands. You don't want dinosaurs this big because they're not gonna fit in the box. It's not practical. So you wanna make sure that you have everything that can be contained in that box and You also want to make sure that if they do purchase any new toys, they are unwrapped and they're not still in the package or the box or the container because the entire point of the play session is that everything looks completely inviting and completely exciting to use. And to have to sit down and fiddle with plastic wrap and cardboard and everything like that, it's just a hindrance to the play. So if they purchase new items, they need to make sure that they're completely unwrapped before the play session begins. So, and at the bottom, they give a little tip there, good toy hunting places are garage sales, attics, friends and relatives, dollar stores, toy aisles of grocery stores. So, encourage them to check those places if they feel that they don't have access to these toys any other way. All right, so that is all of the training content for week two. And now if you'll flip back with me to the front page again, so I can go over the homework that you will give to them really nothing related to any skills. This week it is all in preparation for the play sessions that they'll begin after they meet with you one more time. So you'll see that the two homework assignments are both related to the play sessions. The first is collecting toys on the sheet. And that's the priority because you want to give them almost two full weeks before they'll actually begin conducting the sessions so the earlier they get started on that the better and that is the priority and you can explain that to them you know this is something that i want you to focus on this week obviously the expectation whether it's explicitly stated or not the expectation is that they will continue to use the reflective responding. So they will still practice 30-second bursts of attention. They will still practice reflective feelings, reflecting feelings, or reflective responding. So when the opportunity presents itself, they acknowledge what their child is expressing. But that's kind of an ongoing thing more than a specific new assignment. So new assignments, collect the toys, and then secondly, decide on a consistent time for the play sessions to take place and it's important that not only they decide what time that may be but they pick a time that they know they can consistently offer so if it just so happens this week friday at four o'clock is a good time slot but that won't be a consistent time slot encourage them to choose same time same day each week and there's actually a spot where they'll write that in you know 4 p.m on fridays Also, it's important for them to decide where they're going to conduct these play sessions. Most of these play sessions will take place in the home. I know a few of you have mentioned that you're going to try to offer a room in the school or a room where you're meeting for the actual training, but predominantly these are conducted in the home. And so it's helpful for them to know ahead of time that their room selection should be purposeful. So you want them to consider what is the most suitable room in the house, Where do I have enough room to set up a blanket and toys? Where do I have a room that will allow me to set up a camera of sorts and videotape the entire process? And then further, where will there be the fewest distractions? Because if it's right by the front door and kids are running in and out, or if there are pets and the pets are going to be walking in and out, you know, where is it going to be the most distraction-free? And also, where will they have the greatest freedom from worry about things getting broken or damaged? You know, I typically mention the dining room because I know a lot of people have curio cabinets or dishes on display or something along the lines of that. Even, you know, in a curio cabinet, sometimes there are little knickknacks and things that are ceramic or glass or whatever. So, you know, close to a TV screen close to breakable knickknacks, close to lamps that are made of glass, anything fragile, help them think through what is the most practical location in the home where they're not gonna be constantly going, oh my gosh, I know that I'm supposed to give them freedom and I know they're supposed to be allowed to do whatever they want, but if they shoot that dart gun at the TV and it hits the TV and it breaks, I'm gonna be, so you have to help them process that they need to feel comfortable with where this is going to take place so that they're not half attending to their concern while they're trying to attend to the play session as well. So, also arguably thoughts about making a mess. You know, you're supposed to have them look for a cookie sheet to put art materials on, so that should largely eliminate Play-Doh paint, crayons, markers, things like that. But if your front room is where you really want your house to stay clean if guests happen to pop over, then that's probably not the best choice for you to choose where to do your play session because if you don't have time to clean up the toys right away, you're gonna have a floor full of toys with everything out from the play session. So just help them kind of think through and make sense of the best room there. So no phone calls, no interruptions, no distractions. You know, we don't answer phones, we don't answer doorbells, we don't deal with other kids. It has to be an isolated space that the message that's communicated to the child is, you are my only important priority right now. So you can kind of help them make sense of that. And they don't have to decide right away. They can talk about it with their spouse or look at their schedule and they just report back with that time and day next week. So that is week two. It's far less intense than last week because last week we were skill discussing discussing, and now this week it was more just kind of prepping them for the play session. So I hope that that helps you feel ready and excited about teaching this, and I look forward to hearing more about it as well when we meet in our meeting. So thank you, email me with any questions, and I will see you again soon. Bye.